0: As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself, what do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. And as always, if you folks have, you know, seven or eight figures worth of investable wealth, um, these are the guys that you want in your corner. These are honest, ethical professionals who can help you at every step along the way. Uh, They're the allies that you need on your side. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. So as as we're getting into like winter properly here one thing that we've talked about a lot and that we are advocates of is is the strength training um, you know like we don't think you should just be spinning all winter and we would like to uh, make everybody aware of uh, the WUCAR program if you haven't done it before what's your what's your kind of sell on uh, on the WUCAR program Dan well I mean it's pretty
1: awesome probably the best cycling specific strength coach in the nation lives here in Salt Lake and he's opened up some time slots for youth classes really quick
0: this is not sponsored uh, we this this is just genuinely something we believe in this is not like you know art gives us a special deal or something yeah like. it's just a really awesome opportunity Fantastic. so <clears throat> so car registration is actually opening
1: today like as this podcast is being released um, I'm going to send out a link on team snap and it's it's not cheap it's um it's an investment i think it's a very it's a it's a great investment and if you can do it i would highly recommend it And it's, you know and I, I would say this is definitely for those that take their cycling really seriously and i think anyone that's listening to this podcast is probably yes <coughs> among those um but yeah it's it's a three-month program it is two hundred dollars a month i will send out the link for registration here just shortly so um, look for that, get your kids registered. It's,
0: it, I would, I will go to the mat on this. It is the best cycling specific strength training program in the country.
1: You know, and you look at the list of people, the art trains and Keegan, <clears throat> Sophia, and then just like the, be, the Nike racers, like the best Nike racers yep. all did it. It's, it's a really worthwhile program. So yeah.
0: absolutely keep an eye on that. And then, and then also um, how long was it 2017 we started Maybird 2017. We made a website for Maybird that was useful for the first year, trying to get a few people to do it. Um, we didn't really need it beyond then we've had more than enough writers. Uh, people have known us well enough that we can just give them information when they want it. Uh, there is a Maybird Wix website, uh, out there, um, or I should say used to be, um, that was completely neglected. We hadn't touched it since 2017. Uh, we killed that off today, um, and I'm, I'm very excited to announce that Maybird has a fancy, pretty new website. Uh, it is MaybirdCycling.com, um, and it should be showing up on Google, I understand, shortly. I guess it takes a second. I published it, like, less than half an hour ago. Uh, go and check it out. If you've been on the team before, there will be no new information for you there, but we're going to be using that as a, a, a like a public information apparatus and... Um, yeah, it's gonna
1: b- be a place like where we'll <clears throat> start putting like registration links and mm. and and use it as a place to put links for different things. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully more kind of, resources. yeah, and, like
0: a repository of good information, you know, like uh, we'll link to the podcast there if we ever have like you know uh, any sort of like um, you know supplemental stuff for the podcast we want you to read or interesting cool stuff. we'll we'll link that there. But again, it's maybirdcycling dot um, And I, I should also note that we will be having uh, registration uh, soon through the website, hopefully. Um, more information to come on that sure well, in, in January. In January, yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, I do have a question to start us off this week, Dan. This is from Andrew May. And Andrew asks, as a graduating senior with NICA over, I still want to race. Uh, what races could I do now? I don't really have a set A race like state to train for, so what are my different options? And then how should my training look, and should it be any different from the NICA training that I'm used to?
1: Oh. <clears throat> Whole episode Boy, worth I need of to, questions there. But. Sounds like
0: I need to go to lunch with him or something. That's a lot. Yeah, um, it's a ton.
1: Gosh, there's so many opportunities to race. I, You know, my gut instinct to say to Andrew would be, <clears throat> first of all, I would kind of pick something big and a little bit hairy and scary that you want to do. Point to point. Point crusher. to point, crusher, something like that. Um, I would pick something like that just because I think it's so powerful to have that is this goal that you just you know if you ever don't feel like training you know that that's kind of looming there and it
0: motivates you to get out get on your bike and do some work um i'd also say like i cup is such an awesome high quality race series that we have right here um and it's know. so fun cuz like the expert division of i cup is it's basically
1: a time trial like it's not it's not nearly as much pressure as like the varsity field no I mean, you can still is like you can still race varsity and I cup your first year out of NICA, mm-hmm. Um, which is fun for some people that have that competitive drive to be elbow to elbow with other racers. Yeah. Um, but the expert fields are kind of fun because they spread out like there's just such a huge spread in the talent
0: in the expert fields. It's, it's much less tactical. I found. It, yeah. It's more like you're just
1: out there doing a time trial you know that's that's the kind of racing i i like um
0: and you can aspire to i mean the, a pro i cup race is hugely aspirational that's like you have to be ridiculously good to be racing pro and i cup you know and like once you graduate like i said there's i cup if you're really hungry to race all the time and you really really love the racing you can do i cups you can do midweeks when those are over you can do cross like you can be racing almost year round if you want to be even i mean nike is only five races
1: Yeah. And and as far as training goes, I would say really the same principles apply. You might find you'll have less time. I would say the biggest key, Andrew, and whoever this applies to is consistency. Right. You know, I think I've probably said that before, but if, you know, the more consistent you can be after you graduate, the faster you'll be. And, you know, and I I would say that, you know, if you were consistent and just rode a lot and and entered a few midweek races and, went on a few hard group rides, you know, you're you're still going to stay pretty fast. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and if,
0: like as somebody who just like got through that stage of my life post-NICA, um, going to school, balancing it with work, you know, developing relationships and stuff like that is time consuming. So I'd, I'd like to piggyback on the consistency, just being as consistent as you can, writing as frequently as you can. Like you, you can't overdo it at this stage in your life, probably. Yeah, that's... Um, you know, another thing is too, we're going to be, I want,
1: I really want to do a whole episode soon on time crunch training, which I think would probably be interesting for some of the adult coaches and, and some of the
0: post Nike writers. Or time. even if you're doing like IB or something. Yeah. You know. I mean, I'm not
1: a, not a huge fan of time crunch, but I know it's, it's, it's not ideal, it's but an, it's necessary. It's necessary. Yeah. 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 So,
0: um, yeah, if, as always, any other questions, uh, we could do, we would probably will do a whole episode expounding on that more, but um yeah. For your quiz today, Dan. Uh oh. Uh oh. <clears throat> I have an interesting one. Um, really quick, you know what the UCI is. Explain what the UCI is, Dan.
1: <clears throat> well it's basically like the international governing body of cyclists and events and races and so forth. It's kinda
0: Correct. Yeah. They're, they're cycling's governing body. They're a huge deal. Um, they are, I mean, any big bicycle race you've heard of, especially internationally will be UCI sanctioned. All of the professional racing and even some of the amateur racing happens through the UCI. Uh, and the UCI is notorious for having a lot of rules and people kind of like to dump all over the UCI and complain about how many rules, but you know, there have to be rules to make competition work and make things fair. Um, I have uh, three rules we're going to talk about today that I think are interesting or kind of funny. And the way this game is going to work is I'm going to give you two rules three times. You have to tell me which rule is real and which rule I made up. Okay. okay. So number one, it's like two truths and a lie or something. like. Kind that. of. I okay. mean, basically there's three questions. Each question is, is two different rules and you have to decide okay, which one is real. truth and one lie, one truth and one lie. Okay. Oh, so
1: makes it easier. Number
0: one, tell me which one of these rules is real. Glo- and these, I should say, are paraphrased. They're not directly quoted out of the UCI handbook. They're, they're, you know, as okay. as, as close as I can. Gloves must cover the entirety of the finger and palm. Gloves which only provide partial coverage of the fingers or which do not cont- cover the entirety of the palm may not be used in competition. Okay, number two. Socks must not rise beyond the height defined as halfway between the ankle and the knee. Which one of those rules is real?
1: um I'm gonna say the sock because I know that I mean everyone makes fun of the, the sock rule and you said halfway between the ankle and the knee halfway between the ankle and the knee and it can't go above that <clears throat> correct okay um, I'm, I'm gonna say that's the real one because that sounds about right I know they have a sock rule um, do
0: they have a rule about ankle socks no I think I think socks can See, be as low as you want that was an oversight but yeah there i i think i would rather okay have so what, what am i right you are right you okay. are correct so
1: the and the uci does so you made up that
0: rule about the gloves i did Yes. you worded that very convincingly thank you i've i've done that with all of these you're not going to be able to tell based on the wording oh, which shoot, rules like, which isn't i'm like joe didn't write this this sounds like some <clears throat> say it never mind say it <clears throat> okay go on okay next question. uh yes yeah, so yeah that is re- and, and they do find people for that like they will take out a measuring tape
1: But then it would differ for everybody, you know, like they'd have to like measure the distance between your ankle and your knee, Mm. divide it by two. They do that. Okay.
0: Like Anamieke van Vluten has been fine for that. Nairo Quintan has been fine for that. Remco Evanapol almost got disqualified from TT Worlds last year because they made him pull his socks down and he pulled them back up when he started uh, his time trial. Like, wow. It's interesting. Uh, Supposedly it's too much of an arrow benefit, I guess, is their, their thought there. So a sock is more arrow than a shaved leg? Apparently. Because, like, that's a, that's a big thing now was like, overshoes and stuff. Like, you see the Legion guys wearing yeah, them all the time? True. There's some kind of arrow benefit there.
1: Interesting. Um, and that applies yeah. to
0: overshoes as well. So, number two. Okay. Riders must wear UCI-compliant clothing during podium ceremonies. Or... Helmets must feature at least six holes designed for ventilation, which may be no smaller than three centimeters in any direction and penetrate the entirety of the shell of the helmet and of which at least three so must I think be the first located the on the forward one. section of the helmet. Why? Just because. Just I know, because? I know you. The first one's the, the first really. one. Okay, you're right. The first one is the real one. <laughs> you're there. I'm, I'm bummed you didn't let me get through that one. Did I go over? Was it overkill with the helmet one? I'm
1: like, yeah. This sounds like Joe having fun.
0: Yeah, that that was very much me. Having okay. Fun. Uh, but yeah, you do have to wear like UCI compliant, like basically okay. your race suit. You can't show up in your team's T-shirt and jeans. And if you notice that any UCI podium ceremony, podium ceremony, they will be wearing. Yeah, I mean, usually they'll cle- they'll change into a clean one, but like a skin suit or a kit or something with their okay. team team colors on it. So, um, not just on the bike, they it's police not, what you wear off not the bike too, too. Unreasonable. No. Okay. Number three. Okay. Bicycles used in competition must be constructed entirely of carbon fiber that is at least of 6K grade as defined by the European Bureau of Composites Manufacturing Standards. Bicycles used in competitions may be constructed of various grades of carbon fiber, but frames which consist of any structurally integral elements constructed of carbon fiber that is of a grade lower than 6K as defined by the EBCMS do not meet the requirements for competitive sanction by the UCI or... The minimum weight of a bicycle used in competition must be no less than 6.8 kilograms considered with onboard accessories in place. That is to say those items that may have been removed during the event, as uh, uh, such as bottles, onboard computers, and all other removable accessories, uh, bottle cages, fixture systems, and clipped-on extensions are part of the bicycle and stay in place during the weighing. Okay, the first one you made up. Dang it! How, could you just tell? Was yeah, that? Well, first of all, because, like, they can't only allow carbon in racing. Okay, that's good because you, yeah, you. I've can, had people say it. I'm like, Oh wait, this aluminum frame has the UCI. Star. I'm like, yeah, you can, you can use. We've had Peter Sagan rode an aluminum bike a while ago. Oliver Nason rode like a steel bike for the last stage of the Tour a couple years ago. You'd be um, a good rule book writer. Thank you. Did you. I also made up the European Bureau of Composites Manufacturing Standards, or EBCMS. That is <laughs> that is something I invented. It's not real that I know of. Um, hopefully
1: people like take these in context and don't just like tune into that part of it and just be like, I'm oh, like, wow,
0: okay. Right. Yeah. I I completely made that up. But yeah. If you didn't know, for those of you who haven't heard that before, and you've probably heard the 6.8 kilogram rule, right? Yeah. I knew that one. Bicycles, there is a weight limit. Your bike can only be so light. And so, yeah, people like add things to them to make them heavier sometimes. I mean, used to. Now that we have disc brakes, most like top end bikes end up being right about the UCI weight limit. But when bikes got really good before Mm -hmm. disc brakes, they would add like lead, um, you know, weights into the bottom bracket and stuff like that to get the bike down to, or up to Mm -hmm. the weight limit. So there you go. Cool. Pretty good. Well done, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, uh, if you have any quiz questions you'd like me to uh, to explore with Dan, as always, send them over. But uh, Dan's excited about today's topic. This is an interesting one.
1: Yeah, and we're not really going into a tech topic today because we thought this one might take a little bit longer. And it, it's we something, want to do it justice. Yeah, it's something we do want to do do justice. It's something that you know that's that's important. We you've probably heard a lot about I know a lot of writers are concerned about it I think there's some that are concerned about it that probably shouldn't be and then there's some yeah, that aren't, aren't concerned, concerned about, about it, it that really should, should
0: be. be it's also <clears throat> one of those things that people throw around a lot without really understanding what they mean when they say it
1: absolutely um, so for those that didn't listen our, our last episode was on burnout and that's another term that kind of gets overused a little bit and, and sometimes used inaccurately Um, if, if you didn't listen to that, go back and, and listen to that. I think that's important. Burnout's kind of more the mental side and, and overtraining tends to be, be more physiological. Um, but yeah, so, so overtraining it, first of all, it's, it's kind of a poorly defined term and it's, it's also largely subjective. There's it's, it's something that it, there's not a lot of clear
0: medical diagnosis for it. Because sometimes when you say overtraining, <clears throat> you can mean a Nike kid who's riding too much. And other times it's like a very real, like, something you have to work with a doctor to get over and causes measurable changes in your body that are really hard and might take years to overcome.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, and in fact, I, I kind of... I've heard a lot of different things about overtraining and I've heard some people kind of even explain that overtraining is really only something that applies to like Olympic level athletes who are training 30 plus hours a week. And it's something that the amateurs don't even need to be concerned with. It's something that we couldn't possibly achieve. And, and that's not necessarily true. Um, it's, it's something that, you know, that, the, at least a, a more elite amateur could could does need to be aware of and careful of. Um, but there is there are grades of it. There know. are definitely grades, and, and and it definitely is a term that gets thrown around. On, and in fact, I use it all the time casually, like you know, saying that someone that's that's hasn't rested enough or just done a little too much work that they kind of overtrained themselves a little bit. I say that all the time, and it might not necessarily be use correctly, but I think people know what we mean and so forth. Like
0: ideally there probably should be three or four different words to describe. And there actually are.
1: They're just not as easy. They just don't roll off the tongue quite as easily. Is
0: non-functional overreaching one of them? Yes, it is. I actually remembered something that you taught me. Yeah, that's good, Joe. We're going to talk about that.
1: In fact, sometimes I just like to use the term overcooked because it doesn't mean anything.
0: But it gets the same idea. It gets the same
1: idea across. I'm not using the term overtraining incorrectly when I say they're overcooked.
0: Because I do Um, get what people mean, because like there is a level of overtraining that only an Olympic athlete could could achieve where like there's still a level of overtraining that like a good varsity Nike rider might get to that's still overtraining and is still a problem. But like I said, there almost needs to be a different word for it because overtraining is just such a big, broad catch all.
1: Absolutely. And And there are a few different terms that we'll kind of go over. An interesting thing about the kind of the old school overtraining that we that we've learned about that. You know, that, that basically ends people's careers, puts them in the hospital for years. They, they become a completely different person. Um, you know, I only personally know about like one person who's ever let it get to that point. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's getting more and more rare now because people are more because like back then, you know, before the Internet, before like before people new before there's a much information about overtraining a lot Mm. of people can go down that road without even knowing yeah and where there's all the
0: money and research and stuff in sports science these because this isn't there's not a lot of
1: money and research in sports science but it's more than there used to be yeah but and the information is just more widely available to people people are just more you know like, like there's not a lot of coaches and athletes that would let themselves go very far down that road so um so yeah um but yeah, so before we before we start talking about overtraining, I just want to just talk about training one hundred and one, Joe. What would you say training one hundred and one is?
0: let ride a, a lot and hard at the appropriate times and rest appropriately. Okay, good. Not too bad. Is that pretty good? That's
1: pretty good. So it's a it's a formula, and it's basically overreaching. Plus recovery equals super compensation. So, an overreaching is is quite simply just pushing your body beyond what it's currently capable of doing easily. So you're basically just pushing yourself where your body's not comfortable anymore, and your body kind of says, "Oh wow, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't like it." And he keep he or she keeps doing that to me. When when you get a chance to rest, I'm going to make some changes and some improvements and those changes and improvements are called super compensation, which is adaptations, which makes you a faster cyclist and you kind of ke- keep completing that pro or repeating that process. And you just hopefully become better and better, faster and faster, yeah, and faster. faster and faster. Right. Um, recovery is, is a necessary process that links training to adaptation. Right absolutely
0: necessary you cannot make adaptations without recovery like recovery is the difference between getting faster and banging your head against a wall right yeah
1: so so that's just something that we just need to understand um and then the other thing i want to explain is that i think it's useful to understand when we're talking about overtraining is what the autonomic nervous system is um You know, in our, in our episode 15, we talked about like the fight or flight chemicals and so forth. Um, I'd go back and listen to that one. I think, I think understanding the, the, like some of these adaptations to high intensity training are really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, it might be a good review, but basically we have the autonomic nervous system consists of two main parts, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Right. Okay, these sound familiar. Um, yes. So, so, the sympathetic nervous system is, is like the your basically your fight or flight responses. You know, we right. t- talked about your catecholamines, um, you know the the hormones, the epinephrine, the adrenaline, increase, increased blood volume levels, all those um, that basically you know when you're running from the bear, those things are in place to help you get away from the bear. Okay. right super important in understanding overtraining yeah.
0: i haven't heard of parasympathetic nervous system i don't so, think i've ever heard that before yeah okay no
1: parasympathetic nervous system is the opposite it's it's the rest and digestion it's the rest and digest nervous system hmm. so basically once the sympathetic nervous system turns off the parasympathetic system turns on and this is where you can actually like like, you know, when, you're, when your sympathetic system's turned on, you don't digest food. But when the parasympathetic's turned on, you can actually like, digest food. Your body repairs itself, it makes adaptations. Um, it's kind of the yin and the yin or
0: whatever. Is this a different set of like nerves and physical hardware? Or is it the same set of nerves and physical hardware doing a different thing?
1: It's actually like different chemicals and different processes that'll kick in while the others turn off. So you won't and really
0: have the two working at the same time? Not really. I don't. Apologies to doctors and med students so, here for but, us trying to, you know, yeah, um, rope our way through the dark on this. Like,
1: like part of the parasympathetic um, mode is, is, is basically getting rid of some of the chemicals that your sympathetic system produces.
0: So most of the time you're in parasympathetic mode. Most yeah, of the most time of we're the not time. in fight or flight. Hope,
1: well, that de- no, not really. Depends what type of training you're doing. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So like if your stress levels are really, really high, you'll be in fight or flight all the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of what, yeah, cortisol is one of them actually.
1: And that's kind of what leads, you know, and that's what'll lead to like burnout too. Like we talked about before Mm. is if you're in this, this high stress fight or flight, fight or flight flight mode all the time, it eventually just leads to exhaustion and Mm. emotional burnout. And the same thing with training, you know, if you're constantly in, you know, you're constantly doing ultra high intensity training without ever resting, you're, you've, you've constantly got these chemicals going through you that, Mm. um, are eventually going to cause problems unless you have a chance to rest and digest them. So, yeah. So super important to understand those,
0: those concepts. Um, so and really quick, which episode can people refer back to that on? I think it was 15. Okay. Do you yeah. remember what it was called? I don't remember what it was We've called. We've done too many episodes. I can't even remember anymore.
1: Yeah. It was something about the final NICA th- th- oh, yeah. yeah, episode okay. or something like that. Yeah. Go back and listen to that one. Yeah. So, so we talked about that there's, there's kind of different terms that get tossed around for overtraining. Right. And I kind of want to, well, I'm going to go over each of those because they're all kind of related, but separate right. and deserve different terms. But I think the term I like the most in, in kind of generally describing all of these is maladaptive training. Hmm, like ma-
0: bad adaptive training?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so all of these things, all of these training issues, basically what's happening is you're training, but you're not getting faster. To put it very simply, and that's maladaptive training and it kind of covers a
0: lot of things. So in that training equation, we talked about the works there. It's like, it's like algebraic The works there, but the, um, the result isn't there. So there's the X factor in the middle is usually lack of recovery. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. All right.
1: So yeah. So maladaptive training is basically training that you're doing that isn't making you faster. Got it. We've all done maladaptive training at one point in our careers.
0: Right. Some of us have done mostly maladaptive training
1: (laughs) your entire career. Yeah. So, and you know, and along with our last podcast, we talked about burnout. We mentioned a little bit about that, um, that vicious cycle that you kind of, we go into where, you know, you're disappointed in your results. So you're less motivated to train. So you get even worse results and it keeps kind of spiraling down and down. Any of these maladaptive items can kind of start that vicious cycle. So, um, so that's why, like burnout and overtraining and maladaptive training, they're not the same thing, but they're very closely related. Um, so, so the first type of maladaptive training I want to mention, and this is one you're probably not even thinking about, is undertraining.
0: Okay, fair enough. Is that mal? Because you are getting adaptations there; they're just n- not enough, right? That's true.
1: Yeah, I mean. Especially for beginner riders, any riding you do is going to make you better. But say you're already a, at a, like a certain level, you're a pretty decent, fast rider and life right. gets in the way and you can't train as much as your body's used to training and you can't train at a level that will help maintain you at that current
0: level. Right. That's going to cause you to obviously decline and get slower. Okay. So like real, like a Nike varsity rider who finishes school and things get busy and they go from doing really great ideal training five days a week to like twice a week they're riding for 30 minutes at a time, pretty easy for a year. That's maladaptive training, right?
1: In that case, yeah, that's they're, it's making them slower than they could be. So, okay. Um, interesting thing about that, and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I have seen this cause a vicious spiral more than just about anything.
0: Really? Like how yeah. so?
1: You know, I just know so many kids that, you know, that were able to train at a certain level Life gets in the way they they reduce their training and they start getting slower and and the discouragement kind of sets in with Mm. with disappointing results and they lose even more motivation to train, you know, and, and I've seen this kick off
0: the vicious cycle. Many times, which sucks because all of us will have times in our lives where we can't ride as much as we'd like to. Mm-hmm. Like unless unless you're the you know child of billionaire parents and can spend forty hours a, a week for the next twenty years riding bikes, like you have to be sure to. And that's a good like you know that's a different topic talking about like motivation and not just being motivated by race results. Which is why ride. we
1: talked about the why last yeah in our last podcast. You know because I mean if you're able to just have a good attitude and realize why you do the sport and not let that discouragement kick off the vicious cycle, you know, you can still be the best that you can be given your circumstances. So, so that's the first one under training. Um, you know, it's not super serious, but I think it's something to be aware of and and think about, um, the next one, and this is an actual term, but it's monotonous programming over training. Hmm. Um, and it's kind of just what it sounds like, you know, I mean, uh, you know, like, like if you pretty much just all season long went out and did a two hour tempo ride four days a week and that's all you did the entire season, you know, you're going to get better when you first start doing that, but you're going to plateau pretty quickly. You're going to start not noticing any improvements. And sometimes your body just kind of, once it's adapted to something, if it gets the same stimulus, it kind of backslides a little bit.
0: And that could still be good for your health. It's definitely better than doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a lack of like, I'm somebody who gets caught in routines really easily. I think all of us are guilty of doing carbon copies of the same ride a lot of the time, especially if you only live near one trail system or whatever. So like, I can totally back this up. Like you got to mix it up at least a little bit, even mm-hmm. if you have a ride that's your really common backbone ride, that can't be it for five years, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this can lead to like, it's just good old fashioned boredom, you know, which is in a lot of ways similar to burning out. Um, and obviously the, the way to prevent this from happening is just good season planning. Um, polarization. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those things soon, but uh, and and I think a lot of us are do fall into this trap. You know, it's it's easy to do. So um, another one, and I I mention this a lot, and I don't know if this is a really official diagnosis or something. I, I but early peaking. Okay. Um, we've talked about that before. You know. Oh yeah. And it's basically just you know when you're when your body's doing a lot of training that 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 signals the the sympathetic mode. You're going to be you can only tolerate that for so long right you know before you need to rest and clear that out yeah um and that's different for a lot of people but but usually peaking is kind of a lot of people say that that's like the beginning of overtraining
0: you know right you know you don't take a rest after that peak yeah
1: you're gonna be in trouble Yeah. so um and then the next one and, and joe mentioned this one and this is I would say this is probably what most of us are going to deal with in terms of overtraining. And I would say that this is really the beginning of overtraining, but it's non-functional overreaching. So we talked earlier about how overreaching is when you, when you stress your body beyond what it's normally capable of doing, you know, you basically find the limits and push them after recovery, after a brief amount of recovery, your body gets faster basically. So non-functional overreaching is when you push it too far that the amount of recovery you need becomes excessive. And, um, you know, a lot of times, like if you non-functionally overreach, it might take up to four weeks before you're back to your baseline, which isn't good training because that's four weeks of
0: lost time. Right. Especially in a, in a sport where we have a limited season, you know, like you don't have, all the time in the world all the time. And I'd also like add here, you know, um, I think a lot of people fall into this because they think that they're the chosen one who doesn't need to rest and recover and that they have, you know, they have, I can keep training and doing this hard all the time because I'm afraid of recovering and I don't want to get a little worse while my body recovers and whatever. And like, that is another cycle I've seen Nike kids fall into really frequently. Yeah.
1: So so non-functional overreaching is basically your overreach period you just push it too far beyond what you have the ability to recover
0: from right. in a
1: reasonable amount of time.
0: Start digging a hole that takes a long time to get out of, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so yeah. So basically it's kind of you kind of are beginning overtraining at this point. And like I said, when I usually talk about i think when most people talk about overtraining especially in our realm this is probably what we're actually referring to um the the distinction between between non-functional overreaching and an actual overtraining is usually the duration of time that it takes you to get back to your baseline and 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 typically if it's two to three weeks it's just non-functional overreaching And if it's more than like four weeks, six weeks, a year, that's when you're talking about actual overtraining. So uh, obviously you want to avoid non-functional overreaching. It's not the end of the world if you do dabble with it just a bit and then correct course as soon as you can. Um, But you know, really training is kind of, uh, like the art is, is knowing about how much stimulus you need
0: but not exceeding that it's like walking a tightrope, you know, cause you want to get as much training stimulus as you can without falling over the edge. Cause it is really dangerous. So right? you want to maximize, but there really is. And it's almost a fairly stark tipping point too, right? Like this isn't necessarily a gradual thing. Really. Yeah.
1: Sometimes you don't know where it is till you've gone over
0: it. And like you said, like if you're a serious cyclist and you are going to hopefully want to spend the next 50 years doing this, you will run into this. You just have to know how to spot it. And like you said, course correct quickly without digging a really deep hole that takes a long time to get out of.
1: And and personally, if I'm training an athlete, I would rather have them show up to their big event like just a little bit undertrained rather than a
0: little bit functionally overreached. Like 95% is better than 105%? Yeah,
1: oh, yeah. Yeah, I would... If I'm going to make an error, I'd probably err on the side of being just a little bit undertrained, than pushing them over that edge, and and you know you're just kind of risking some bigger problems. I wouldn't purposely try to dabble with, you know. Right. So, so that's non-functional overreaching. Now let's let's talk about overtraining. Right. So, Joe, what what would you consider? What would you
0: say overtraining is? Look, like before this episode, and again, Dan and I don't like prep together. Um, before this episode. I've kind of, like you said, known overtraining is a very specific condition that only affects extremely elite athletes that is like, you, you said, like takes you out of your sport for a year that like, and it's, it happens very occasionally with professional athletes, whether I've just done too much, I have to end my season early. I have to, you know, that it's, it's like an extremely serious thing that in fairness, most amateur athletes don't have the means to achieve
1: and that's what you're commonly taught. And it's a really a good definition, but um, you know, first of all, so I would define it as your training and your lifestyle, which is I think an important consideration. And um, it chronically exceeds your ability to recover and adapt.
0: And so it's not just like, cause that could be anybody, nothing in that definition says elite per se. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, and that can be yeah that can basically be anybody. It can be an athlete that is training thirty hours a week and just not giving themselves enough recovery. But it could also be an athlete that is training ten hours a week, but is also under a lot of stress, and they're you know they're they're under as you know their autonomic nervous system is going full board, not just because of their training, but also because of their job and their lifestyle and all the other things that, you know, that person could, can also have issues. You're working
0: on your master's degree, have two jobs you're doing, working late, not getting enough sleep, kids are sick, you know, parents are having problems and then training, right? So like, it's like almost like, you know, having a stressful job, can be like, you almost have to budget for recovery like you would for an extra workout. Yeah,
1: it's kind of like that dealing with stress, it's like stress that's just not making you faster. Right. You know, so but stress is stress. So, so you really have to factor what you've got on your plate into the whole equation. And if you've got like a whole lot of other things going on, you probably can't train like a pro athlete. I mean, pro athletes, they oftentimes have their life so clean and clear that the only thing they have to stress about is their sport. Because it is their
0: job. Because. And, and, and I hate people miss that. When you say professional athlete, that's what that word means. Professional like my profession right now is medical staffing. Like if you try to do your job plus 40 hours of medical staffing, it would be really hard, right? But for some reason, people don't compute that like, oh, well, I have a 40-hour week job at a law firm or a doctor's office or an accounting firm or whatever. And then... Then I'm going to train like Keegan on top of that. And, and that's not... Like there's no amount of willpower that's going to make that work. Like in the physical universe that we occupy, you can't do that. It's not even that off, like often you'll see... Like Kate Courtney's is uh, a rare example of an athlete who, like, got a degree at the top of her career. That's really hard to do. And in a lot of ways, I'd be like... But awesome. It's super awesome, right? But I wouldn't necessarily, like, counsel someone to do that. Like Someone's like, I want to be a pro cyclist. I'm like, great. That is your life. That's it. And for the rest of us, we're not pro cyclists. So, like you said, like, I hate every time Bike Radar, whoever else does an article, like, here's how this pro trains every week. Like, I hate those. Those are so, so bad. I, I don't think you should ever read those. Yeah. So... So
1: I, I like to think of overtraining as like a road that you get on and it's a road you really don't want to be on. And it's a road that like, once you're on it, you should try to turn around as quick as you can. And and along this road, there's a whole bunch of warning signs telling you to turn back, turn around, you know, and it, it would honestly like with the knowledge that we have now, it would take a special kind of person to ignore all of these warning signs and and not turn back because really you know if you get to the end of this road, it's absolutely terrible. It's career ending. It's life altering. You won't be the same person anymore. Um, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, it 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 takes people that people that actually truly overtrain and and kind of reach the end of that road. You know, it, it involves serious medical attention and
0: it's kind of grotesque.
1: Yeah. And you won't be a bike rate. You won't be very fast after that. You probably won't touch your bike after that. Yeah. So, you know, but but if you do find yourself on the road, you know, that happens. Turn around, fix it. Yep. You know,
0: yeah. If you want to torture this metaphor more, like you'll have to drive back down the same road. Like if you spend two months over it'll be two months or more that you spend getting out of the hole. You know, like well, you can't. And correct. actually
1: over training, like if you're, if you actually do beyond non-functional overreaching, it's usually it's usually gonna take at least four to six weeks of nothing but rest
0: too. Quick question. Do you think we've ever seen in Utah a Nike athlete go beyond non-functional overreach?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, in fact, it's it's more common than I think. I think like the medical diagnosis of it is, is softening a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I saw a number that actually two thirds of elite runners will Experience at least some form of overtraining in their careers. Really. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if, um, if we know some Nike racers that
0: have probably exceeded non-functional overreaching. I think, especially if you looked at the people who have like exited the sport competitively, you'd probably find that a lot more of them have probably I, seen this. I, right? I don't think
1: it's super common. Yeah. But I, I, I I'm, I i would not be surprised if it's happened. Got it. Um so yeah. So yeah, this is something that and and also too, a lot of kids I know are
0: worried about this that really shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, yeah. like
1: you got other things to worry about. You're you're not doing nearly enough. You you
0: you probably can't get beyond non functional overreach on three rides a week. Yeah. Unless they're eight hours a pop, Yeah. I mean right?
1: this is for riders that would ride every day if they could, but we force them to take a couple of days off. You know, this is right. yeah. Um so so yeah, so, but it, don't ignore it. Is, is yeah, it's it's a big deal. Learn the science. Be aware. Yeah. So um, so there's two different types of overtraining. It falls into two different categories. One is um, sympathetic overtraining sy- syndrome, mm-hmm. and the other is parasympathetic overtraining syndrome. Right. And they're slightly different. Um, the the sympathetic overtraining syndrome is probably more common and what we probably deal with more and and that's caused from and and there's there's some different theories and I'll talk about those in just a second but but mainly um, excessive intensity usually leads to that
0: five days of intervals a week stuff like that. yeah
1: yeah Um, the parasympathetic overtraining syndrome is probably a little scarier. I'd say it's more rare, and and this is something that more like ultra runners, and people that you know. It's usually more time induced, um, and and so that's it's, there's kind of those two different distinctions, and it's interesting because they each have different um,
0: symptoms. Interesting. So yeah. and like the parasympathetic would be like trying to do six hour training rides every day. Like you see some of the pros do. Yeah. Like that would be like you or me trying to do that. We could, we could probably get into this whole pretty quick. Yeah. So, okay.
1: Yeah. Um, kind of an interesting distinction there, but so I think it's, uh, I think it's important to kind of understand like what's actually like some of the theories of what's actually happening when we reach an overtrained state. Um, First of all, though, I, I just want to talk about just just some of the indicators, like you know, what does it feel like, you know, right. before we before we really talk about like what causes it. Um, the main one is, and the main red flag always is going to be decreased performance. Like if you start, if you notice your performance is starting to slip, a lot of times our first reaction is to do what?
0: More. Yeah, train hit the the gas harder. Train hard
1: or or like find some magic intervals online that are gonna fix all your problems. Right. Which is usually the opposite of what needs to happen. You know, usually if for some reason your performance is declining and you can't really explain it, it
0: you probably need rest. And to push that point, if your performance declines and there's an obvious explanation, like I've been training less or I'm sick or something like that, you jumped over training when everything else is right or seems to be right and you're training a lot and hard. And getting worse. Yeah, right?
1: you're working your butt off. You're writing five days a week. You're following your plan, but you're getting slower. Um, it's probably not that you're not doing enough. It's
0: yeah. yeah. In that case, r- probably never that you're you're not doing enough, right? Like there's there's very few cases where doing more in that you know circumstance would be better, right? Yeah. So that's that's usually the biggest indicator. Another
1: one to pay attention to is if in, and this is more for sympathetic overtraining syndrome, which I think most of our riders would probably be more at a risk of, um, is, is an increased resting heart rate. Okay. You know, if, if you monitor your heart rate when you wake up and you should do this before, you know, you need a baseline to know what compare it to. You can't just like, right. Yeah. So when you wake up in the morning, check what your heart rate is and be familiar with it. And if it ever is, Regularly 10% higher than normal um, you might Over a long
0: period of time because like the day after a a six-hour Maybird epicish or something it will be higher Yeah, we're talking and this is why like if you're if you're if if your kid is it has varsity aspirations and is training a ton something like a whoop might be good to have because that would be a really great it kind of just way. does it
1: for you right where which you is just not... look at
0: the graph of like my resting heart rate over the past three months oh holy smokes it's going up and up and up and up right that mm-hmm. could be a bellwether yeah of, i mean it could be other conditions too but it's likely that's related to overtraining, right
1: yeah and, and along the lines of the whoop the other one that's really important to monitor is your your hrv Yes. You know, if you, your heart rate variability, if you get a decreased heart rate variability, um, that's a sign that your, your, your sympathetic nervous system is kind of in overdrive a little bit. Okay. Um, and that's another thing that like whoop and other wearables will monitor. Um, we'll, we'll probably talk more about HRV later, but it basically is just measuring the, the amount of time between each heartbeat. And when you're in a parasympathetic mode, that time varies a lot, and if you're in a sympathetic mode, it's very consistent between heartbeats. So, um, also your mood. If you're really grumpy, um, if you're having trouble sleeping, if you're losing weight, this can um, cause
0: menstrual symptoms for women as well. That's another one to look out for. It, right? Yeah, definitely. Yes, okay. um, if
1: if it takes longer to recover than normal, and those are all kind uh, those are all things that you can monitor yourself um you know as far as like what a a doctor might notice is is you can get tests to, to compare like the ratio between cortisol and testosterone you know if you have an increased amount of cortisol and, and your testosterone is lowing lowering that can be a sign of of sympathetic overtraining um your serum glutamine glutamine is is um an amino acid that helps keep you from getting sick and if you're overtrained that can be lower um, And then the biggest one is if it if it improves in two to three weeks of rest, it was probably just non-functional of reaching. If after two to three weeks of resting, you're not better,
0: you are probably
1: when we say not on, better.
0: Resting heart rate's still high. Yeah, HRV is off. Um, which direction still would HR, HRV would be? HRV lower.
1: would be have a higher variability as as you get better.
0: Okay, so if your HRV is staying low resting heart rate, staying high. And then I guess if you happen to be working with a doctor and and if
1: you're feeling, you know, and if you're just feeling better on the bike too.
0: Okay. So, um, yeah.
1: So if that's less than two to three weeks, it's probably just non-functional reaching. If it's more than three or four, you might be, you're kind of on the overtraining road. Right. So, um, no, the indicators of the parasympathetic overtraining, which is more like what ultra marathon runners might experience. The scarier version. It's right? kind of the scarier version that you're dealing with. Um, you know, on that one, your heart rate will be low. Your resting heart rate will remain low, but you won't be able to get your heart rate up at all. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. And that's like your body will sh- kind of start to shut you off before it gets too high. Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't.
1: Um, so obviously decreased performance is going to be there. Um, you're probably going to actually gain a little bit of weight Really? rather than lose weight. Yeah. Okay. Um, like and, and this said,
0: one, it sounds like your body's going into survival mode, right? Like your body's trying to keep itself alive. It's afraid for, you know, like your mortality there, right? Like you're going to start putting on fat, won't let you get your heart rate up, like trying to force you to stop almost. Right.
1: Yeah. It's basically suppressing some of the, some of the systems that control that normally. Wow. In a normal state.
0: That's so, scary. Yeah
1: um depression extreme fatigue um one thing about this one is is like you can't get out of bed mm-hmm. you know whereas with the
0: sympathetic you have a hard time sleeping so poor worse immune response for both of these too right like you might be more susceptible to getting sick yeah yeah because of the glutamine levels dropping and so okay. yeah and i'd imagine this would be especially dangerous in somebody with any kind of pre-existing health condition right it's like this is something that you should not mess around with. Yeah.
1: And that's one thing I really want to point out make a huge point here is if, if you're ever suspicious that you might be, the first thing I would do is go to your doctor because a lot of times, um, a lot of people think they might be overtraining when they actually have, like, a medical condition, like... Like some autoimmune disorders or something. Or, you could know, or hypothyroidism
0: or low iron or, what well, you know... So, yeah, explain that to a, a good, qualified medical provider.
1: Like and, an and And then DO. vice versa. A lot of times, <laughs> like, you know, you might think you're sick and, it, and it, you know they might think it's one of these other things but really it could be overtraining but um try to get some blood tests or something to yeah you definitely want to like if you think you might be overtraining get some blood tests and in fact it's a good idea to to get regular physicals anyway just so you have some baseline levels
0: yeah, um, to help rule some of these these things out, you know. Because most of the stuff we talk about here is like do X, Y, and Z, and you'll get faster. This is one of those rare things where it's like we're talking about something where I'm not even concerned about your performance on the bike. Like your your health is in jeopardy here, right? No, we're not just talking about whether or not you're going to win states. We're talking about a, a life altering medical condition here, right?
1: Yeah. So, so visit your doctor. Make sure you know rule out some other things. Right. And you know, so. Um. Yeah, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about like what actually could be happening to your body when you overtrain, because I think it, it leads to an important point. Um, but there's a few different theories, and I think it's really kind of a combination of these things. But um, one is is that when you introduce trauma to your muscles, it releases these cytokines, which are, which are basically like little proteins that send messages to other cells. And... And there's a protein, there's a cytokine um, called IL-6, which is interleukin six, and this is an inflammatory um, cytokine that, if if present chronically, can lead to like chronic inflammation throughout your entire system, and and intense exercise um, can can cause this IL-6 to increase in your body. Interestingly, there is an IL-10, interleukin-10, which is an anti-inflammatory cytokine, which is introduced into the body during moderate to low-intensity exercise, which right there is a huge plug for polarized training. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. It kind of keeps those balanced out. Um, But if you get enough of these, these inflammatory cytokines in your system you'll be dealing with some chronic inflammation and a lot of people think that this can be what kinda shuts you down when you're starting to overtrain. Um, There's also you know we mentioned glutamine earlier a lot of times when people are training really heavily they get sick and that's because um, your glutamine levels which is an amino acid it that primarily fuels your um, immune system that starts to drop and so that's why a lot
0: of times like, you know, when you're training heavily you'll get sick. Um Pro Cyclists, they go to huge lengths to keep them like healthy. You know, like there was always like Team Sky would put like air filters in the riders' hotel rooms and they're like, please don't get off the bus and shake hands with yeah, twenty fans. It, it compromises
1: like, your immune system. And, yeah.
0: Um so especially during like a COVID like a bad COVID outbreak or something if you've been training really really heavily like take extra precaution to wash your hands and you know don't suck on any doorknobs and stuff you know
1: <laughs> and then another th- another possible cause of why your performance will decrease if you're overtrained is is an autonomic stress imbalance and that's basically you know you're in fight or flight so much that it your body just down regulates these systems. And I, I basically just kind of compare it to your body. Just kind of gets sick of running from that bear. Hmm. It just can't do it anymore. You know? Um, and, and when that happens, it actually increases a hormone in your brain called tryptophan, which makes you kind of tired and sleepy, you know, like the, so like Thanksgiving basically. Oh, interesting. So, really? Yeah. Okay. But the, the thing to point out about all of these is, is overtraining isn't just like, tired quads and hamstrings it's actually something that happens like centrally
0: hmm. and it's more of a central system that's kind of shutting you down because you said your nervous system i didn't even really connect that like like you said this is something way deeper than oh i'm I'm sore and tired. Cause I'll go on a big ride and the next day I'll be like, man, I'm sore and tired. But this is, this is like a, 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 a significant step beyond that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, There's there's some kind of so- central regulator that's shutting your body down and pre- preventing you from continuing to heap on this damage. So I think that's a good, important distinction to make there. So, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about a lot of stuff. I think it's time to talk about like the important thing. And that is, like well first of all if you if you are overtrained how how do you get better and that's short and simple answer and there's only really one answer to that and that's rest 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 and nutrition
0: which is kind of part of it but Rest. It's crazy how hard that is for some people, especially if you have some, you know, some other thing you're dealing with, like an eating disorder or something that makes it so you are unable to rest because it's, it sounds so simple, but it is, it's obviously really hard for people to swallow because if you have, if you have the kind of drive to get yourself to this point, you might not be inclined to just be like, oh, I'll just rest, you know? Yeah.
1: And and so the rest, you know, if you're feeling off, it might take, you know, if you're non-functionally overreaching, it might only take a few days, couple days to get back on track. Or it could take up to six weeks to a year, you know. Um, so, th- but yeah, rest and nutrition really is the only way. If you if you do find yourself in a non-functionally overreached or worse, an overtrained state, I, I really don't know of another way.
0: There's not a supplement you could take. There's not a magic interval you could do. There, and and than, on nutrition too, that's another reason why I like, we've always been really hesitant to say like, cause you know, in a weight sensitive sport, like cycling, like, Oh, here's how to cut some weight or whatever. Like you don't want to be, if you realize that you're in non-functional overreaching or getting into overtraining, like d- don't worry about trying to cut weight at that point, just get your nutrition back on track. Make sure you're getting the right nutrients that your body needs because then more than ever you, you really, really, cause you can't just, you can't just not be active and get, get out of this. Like rest, like you said is, is a, is a really significant process of, making sure that your body is nourished and that it has the tools because yeah. just doing nothing is not resting. It's doing nothing strategically when you're giving your body the tools to build itself back yeah, together. Yeah.
1: Right? yeah, you've got to rest and nutrition is basically the building blocks of recovery. Right. Um, yeah. So you've got to combine rest and, and good recovery nutrition. is rest and nutrition. Yeah. Right. Okay. They go hand in hand. And, and one point here, and I don't know how to put exclamation points on a podcast, but, Dieting on the bike is a good recipe for overtraining.
0: Yeah. So do, don't do it. <laughs>
1: so, but the good news is how to prevent overtraining. And this is how we'll finish off. Um, hope everyone's still paying attention. Do we need a magic word of the day for? The magic word of the day is ostrich. Ostrich. Okay. Text Joe the word ostrich if you're still listening. Okay. So prevention. The first one is built-in recovery. Okay. Like hopefully you're following some kind of a plan. And this is the main reason I I like people to follow plans because there's built in recovery. Um, The rules are, you know, two days a week, one week out of a month, you have a midweek mid season break, and then you have your two week off season. And that's like the bare minimum. You know, you have built in planned recovery. If you wait until you, well, a lot of people think they're going to recover when they feel like they need recovery. If you do that, what's going to happen is you won't need any recovery the first three or four months of the season. And then the last three or four months, you're going to need recovery every week. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So built in recovery, recover before you think you need it. Okay. Okay? That's the first one. Okay. Next one we're going to do. I can't wait to do an entire podcast on this one because it's one of my favorite topics. And that's intensity distribution. Um, Your training needs to be polarized or pyramidal. Um, you know, if you're doing the same thing every day, well, I mean, this is why basically, you know, you're going to have two hard workouts a week and, or two intense workouts a week and no more, because anytime you go above zone two, you're actually, you're actually kicking off your autonomic nervous system. And you know, you really only want those to happen twice a week and you want it to count when it happens. Right. You know, you don't want to be tapping into that just on some casual fun ride. You want to tap into it when it counts and avoid it when it doesn't. So polarized pyramidal training is probably one of the most important ways to prevent overtraining. And there's so many other good reasons for it. Um, Periodization where, you know, you're, your training changes throughout the season you're doing different you know emphasizing different different types of training throughout the season and it and it advances and changes as the season goes on as a reminder, um, we're talking
0: about like doing base miles in the winter doing intervals closer to time you know the kind of basic like changing what your your days look yeah, like
1: yeah and like. also that that it's progressive too you know that um that you're able to handle more and more work as the season advances um Super important. Um, Another important one is ramping up adequately. You know, you don't, you know, it takes years and years and years to become a professional cyclist and you don't want to like your second season in NICA. You don't want to train 20 hours a week or you don't want to go on six hour rides every day. You know, you want to gradually build up your
0: volume and let me rephrase that for any arrogant protégés of me who are are listening Um, it's not that you shouldn't it's that you cannot it won't work don't don't bother it won't work so it takes time yeah so you know um, start with an hour ride go up to an hour and 15 minutes an hour and a half then hour and and soon you'll be Tate Larkin and you can handle a a training load like that but if you're listening to this and you're not Tate Larkin you're not Tate Larkin don't try to train like him yet
1: you know so yeah ramp up to that gradually if you try to do too much too soon um you can you can find yourself non-functionally overreaching pretty fast. You're going to have a bad time. Okay. Uh nutrition is huge. Nutrition I would say most of the people I know that have severely non-functionally overreached have um
0: have have had inadequate nutrition. So like like how how big a deal is nutrition when it comes to this?
1: You know, it's it's huge. It's probably one of the biggest factors in preventing non-functional overreaching or overtraining or all of these maladaptive training we've been talking about. Um, is it that it's going to prevent you from getting there or help you get out? Well, both. Both for sure. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we mentioned earlier that like the nutrition that we consume is basically providing building blocks for adaptation. Right. Um, a lot of times like, you know, one thing we didn't really mention is just good old fatigue, you know, like a lot of times, you know, training will make us feel fatigued. Um, a lot of the fatigue we experience is from like low glycogen stores. Um, so, so yeah, adequate nutrition is, is key to recovery and, and is a huge part in preventing overtraining fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, and then probably the last one is just listening to your body. You know, if, if something seems wrong, talk to a coach, talk to a doctor. Um, you know, if, if the prescribed recovery in your training plan doesn't seem to be cutting it, you know, listen to your body. I mean, there's, there's very few, and it, it, there's very few times when if you have a hard workout coming up, but you feel like total crap, there's very few times when that's a good idea to proceed with that rather than talking to your coach and taking a rest day and moving that workout to another day.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> so. I mean, it's like sometimes you have to do work when you don't feel ideal, but if you feel awful and you can, I think you kind of get a feeling for this over time too. Like, like good hurt versus bad hurt, you know?
1: Yeah, you do. You know, and if you've got a power meter and you just can't hit the numbers, you know, it might not be your day and tomorrow could be your day. There are
0: so many different things that go on in your body that affect your performance on a, on a short term like that. Like, you know, I w I wouldn't stress, stress about it too much. You know, like you said, bump it to another day. Try again. Yeah. If you find over a long period of time that you're frequently failing workouts. And by that, I mean like not being able to achieve um, the powers that you you're set out to do that are reasonable based on your FTP and stuff like that. If you find a high rate of workout failure over a long period of time, could that be indicative of? You know, and that's a
1: really, really good point because one bad workout or one bad race doesn't mean anything really. I right. Mean, we all have bad days. but if you have like <clears throat> a bad day followed by another bad day, followed by another bad day, followed by a bad week, you know, if it goes on and on for a period of time, then that is indicative of a bigger problem.
0: Um, Like, think like a scientist or a statistician, you know, like, like little, little blips in the data happen. You know, I think you're looking for long term trends here. Anytime. Like you, like, it's like somebody shouldn't come to you and be like, Dan, everything's going fine. And then Wednesday was really bad. I think I'm overtrained. Right. That probably Wednesday was just really bad. And it could have been for any number of reasons we're talking about. And I guess what kind of term is it? Is this something you can tell over the course of a week? Or do you have to be seeing this for four to eight weeks to be able to decide or?
1: You know, I I think it just depends on what's preceded it in terms of a training load. Okay. Um, But definitely, you know, if you have an entire bad week, that's a pretty good sign
0: that you do need some additional rest. Or just to look back and say like, you know, did I try to do some really ambitious training and now I'm, you know, I'm having this really awful week? Or is it like, hey everything's fine this is pretty reasonable i should be able to handle this and then it's a bad week and then try to decide based on that
1: well i think that's the value of having your training recorded and documented right and like training peaks or at least strava but training peaks is probably better and and one of the most important things that you can document really is there's there's like a little section that you can kind of Indicate how you're feeling, you know. And there's like it's kind of from like bad to good, and it's like a frowny flip face
0: to a smiley. A lot face. of people ignore that too, but I that think, almost might be one of the most important, I, you know, because like you know, they're hard workouts, but you finish, you're like, yeah, I, I did that. I feel good. It was really hard, but I did it. And then there's others where something was wrong, you know.
1: Yeah, you know, if you have like, you know, you can look back and see, you know, I haven't felt crappy all season. Then all of a sudden, the last two weeks, I'm feeling crappy every other day. You know, that could be a sign that you're maybe in need of additional recovery or right. or maybe your nutrition's off. Or maybe you need to go see a doctor about some other medical condition, you know. But at least yeah. it's a sign that
0: that something's trending off. And, like, I'm guilty of this, and I know it's not possible for everybody. But, like, if you have the ability to see a doctor frequently as an athlete, you know, like, I, th- I think that's, that's never going to hurt. You know, making sure that your baselines are good, that you don't have any. Because, like I said, a lot of these overtraining things... I mean, it's probably more likely that you're ever trained, but they do kind of share symptoms with some relatively serious medical conditions. Yeah. That's good
1: to rule out. And, you know, obviously, you know, getting a yearly and annual physical is I'd say the minimum. Um, another thing, if you can, I think it's good to, I mean, if there's any way that like a sports medicine doctor could be your primary care provider would be ideal, Yeah. you know, because athletes do have different needs
0: than than, than most people. Right. Like, so, um, I'd say that, are are there any other like good, um, kind of rules of thumb health wise that you'd, you'd want your athletes to be doing? You know, I think we've, I, I think we've
1: mostly covered it, you know, just making sure that, that really that your recovery is in balance with the amount of training that you're doing. And one thing I do want to point out kind of, you know, as we kind of wrap things up is don't, A lot of times when you learn about overtraining and and overreaching and and so forth, I think it kind of scares some people from working hard. You can actually handle a lot of hard work and hard, consistent training if you match it with adequate recovery and, and, you know, and your lifestyle can handle it.
0: And I've heard, and this is an exaggeration, but like there's no such thing as too much training. There's just too little rest, which is exaggeration. Yeah. And no, that's like,
1: not necessarily true, but it's a good principle. Yeah. It's a good principle. I mean, you can handle a lot of training if your recovery is top quality and, but then and the other things too, like your, you know, your periodization and your, and your intensity distribution and so forth. You can handle training if you do things smartly. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, obviously, a lot of people call it like under overtraining is under recovery, which is kind of a cute little way to remember it. I don't know how. It's not it's, perfectly, it's not true, perfectly but it's, true. It but, illustrates
0: the point pretty well. <clears throat> you know.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So get out there. Be consistent. Train hard. Train smart. Um, You know, I I think I and one thing about Maybird is, is education is just super important to me. So, you know, I think by arming yourself with a little bit of knowledge about this, you're not very likely to go very far down an overtraining
0: road without being able to recognize the warning signs. So if you do, it's on you. (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're, we're giving you the tools to recognize this so don't like i said don't don't freak out about this just be you know have your eyes open be look be on the lookout for it if you're going to be training a lot but yeah
1: go ride a lot have fun and, and you know if you're not getting faster maybe maybe
0: talk to a coach something might be a little off or so. buy an s works that's always the solution right if you're not getting faster buy a more expensive bike there you go that, that that's joe's it. tip for today okay talk to you next week folks